moimoiatia te moimoia, engari whakatina nahia. Dream the dream and achieve it. Enga iwi o te motu no mai haramaya no ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahika. Ko Justin Murray ahau, I'm Justin Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakraku and you're back with Te Ahika, your weekly fix of Kaupapa Māori on Radio New Zealand National. Coming up this week... There was disbelief when Dennis Marsh's latest album, Māori Songbook, entered the New Zealand album charts. At number one... No one was more shocked than the man himself. I, I've never ever thought that any of my um, any of my albums would get that far, but um, it was a big surprise, a very big surprise. Even to think that it was a Maori songbook that took me there—it's the biggest milestone I've ever had in my life. <laughs> More from Dennis later. In the digital ebook world. Is there still a place for real, physical paper and ink books? Joshua Kota and Asvano think so. So once you've restored it, how much longer what can its life be? What I tell people is if you send a book to me to be restored, I give it a 200-year guarantee. Woo-hoo! Yeah. So therefore, <laughs> if after 150 years it falls to pieces, you're quite free to come back and check me out and I'll do it for you for free. And with your different generations of your whānau involved in the business, it's yeah. highly likely they will. And, and it's quite likely that my mokopuna will come and do it for you, knowing that I've made that declaration. Nā reira i tiwi, koe rara nā kaupapa Māori mō te haura e haere ake nei. Aira, stay locked in. That's coming up in the next hour. Once a month, Te Wānanga o Aotearoa hosts its weaving noho marae or noho, we can get together, at the Levin Kōkiri Centre. Their door is open to both current and former students wanting to spend quality time weaving harakeke with seasoned tutors and for visiting Te Ahika producers. We're at the Levin Kōkiri Centre, which is a mishmash of buildings just in the industrial area of Levin. And uh, kia ora, Tracy. Kia ora. <laughs> this is Tracy Huxford. Now, Tracy, you're the tutor for the... Um, I'm the kaihauri raranga here, so I um, look after all the raranga programmes. We have um, three of the raranga programmes come through this way. So this is through Te Wananga or...? Through Te Wananga Aotearoa. So yeah. we start with, um, we have the, we actually have um, a Kawairaupapa introduction to Kurawai program, um, and that's a level three, and that starts mid-year. So tell me what Kawairaupapa is. Um, it's, uh, it's actually an introduction to something. So Oni. The radio lady. <laughs> so this class here is the. This is the level four. So they are beginner Laranga students um, on their first their first noho, uh, and they they're starting with a tori, um, which it's just a sample piece to get them into the. Um, into the weaving techniques to teach um, ara and uh, tension. So ara is kind of like the anchor. It is. Oh, it's um, the, it's the line in which you follow. Yeah. yeah when it comes to. Got to get the ara right. That's the one. And then on the other side, that 
where we were, that's um, the high levels, um, level five and diploma, level six. Where, um, so in the level four, they start with basic um, tonga, like, like I said, the tauri, um, kono konai, uh, moving into kitifiri, uh, kitifakairo, and then at, towards the end they have a multimedia so that allows them to decide what the project will be. So if, if they've really enjoyed, um, for example, Kitifakairo, they can extend on that. Or there may be something else in which they want to pick up, like um, learning the basic techniques so that they can commence korawai, kākuhu, uh, tukutuku, whatever, whatever they would like. So these ladies already know the basics of kite? No, no, not at all. Of, of acquiring harakeke? They just learnt that today. So, that's, so they, they learn all of that. So they go so out. So that's and actually cutting, doing karakia, taking taking the harakikia when you finish with it back to where you got it from. Mm-hmm. That whole okay. process. Not doing it in the rain. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> it's been raining this weekend. It has been. <laughs> so all crossing our fingers this morning that it would stop. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it worked out quite well because we have a supply upstairs that we can can grab. Now are these the mainly wahine? Are they from this? You're here? Are they um, from this area? No, we have one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe. I saw five a big or six van from outside, the Tracy. They come travel from the Wairarapa. <laughs> um, last year we had three wahini from Taranaki and they travelled down every noho. Um, and then another three from Wellington, so they come from far afield. And how long, noho. how many noho do they have? They have ten, ten throughout the year. and um, they, Gosh, it's a big commitment, isn't it? It is, it is. But the beauty of it is that it's free. Which, is, which makes that commitment a little bit easier. It does, yeah. <laughs> it only costs someone their time. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, we have someone there who prepares all of that, so it's not actually taking students or kaiako out of the classroom to um, prepare all the meals. It's all done so they can come in, learn how to weave, not have to worry about cooking. <laughs> so we have set times and they'll, we'll all go in, all the classes will join for kai. We have uh, karakia white every morning. Great answer. Tracy, the ladies in this class tend to be uh, bakiki. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that it's an art form that attracts older wahine? Yes, very What's much that? so. Uh, through talking with the, our, our queer, they actually come from that generation where it was lost. And so for a lot of them, it's actually coming back to learn the skills of kākahu, korawai, uh, kite. Uh, to pass on to their mukuna. You know, my nanny taught me how to weave. I've only realised as an adult how um, significant it is in terms of how she was teaching me patience and how I had to get things right, otherwise everything else doesn't, you know, <laughs> like without getting the other right and just having the patience and... Uh, the perseverance. And just how that ends up being a metaphor for life, really. Now. It does, it does, yes. yes. If you know how to weave, you'll never be bored. <laughs> if you don't have patience before you start, you certainly have it when you finish. OK, so do you have any introduction to Kōrawai students here who are doing it at the moment? Yeah, there's about three or four in here. Oh, Mar- Marjorie. About four. So predominantly Māori women, do you get Pākehā women coming through as well? We do. And yeah. other nationalities? And we also have a lot of, um, we have a lot of Pākehā women who have married 
Māori, so they're wanting to um, to come along so that they can pass those schools down or make the kākahu so they can put it on their moko. We, our oldest our oldest student was um, 84 years old, Pākehā, and her intention was to come and weave a kuruai so she could hand it on to her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Now, she's done that. She graduated with her diploma at the age of... Been 80, 87, 88. She's celebrating her 90th birthday this year, um, and she and she continues to come in. So you know, our policy here is although although you may have finished or or graduated many years ago, it doesn't matter. The doors always open. So on the on the other side where we started off, that classroom is actually available for present Toyota as well as graduates to come in and just use the space, utilise it during the week. Gosh, it's a bit of a maze, eh, getting around here. There's like all these itsy bitsy rooms. <laughs> a room on a room. <laughs> We've just actually purchased this building. Yeah. So slowly started to do it up now that it's ours. <laughs> so, Tracy, are you Nokunaina? Why can I? But you're a Te Aoteawa girl. A bit of Nati To in there too, Nati Tama, Nati Mutinga. Oh, that beautiful smell. It's lovely, isn't it? Mm. Everybody, this is Mariah. <laughs> Would you like to have a turn, Aina? Aina is our, our other kayako in this room. So these are four of our diploma, our third year Toyota here. And the beauty of the program is also that it allows somebody to complete, for example, their first year, have one or two years off, or more, depending on um, what their personal circumstances are, and then to come back. So for Adrian, she had a year off last year with a new baby, so she's come back at, back now to complete her diploma. So these wahine here are weaving kite? They are. And from kite for kairo, it's just a re- revisor really for them to keep their hands into it. And then from kite for kairo, they will move into tukutuku. Mukatori, and then within all the all of the um, within all of the programs, they decide what the particular project will be. So for us, mukatori is just a word. They decide what that particular mukatori will look like, what shape it will take, what form it will, will take. So whether it be mukakiti, mukatatua, whatever they whatever they want, rapagi, hiki. So what you're just saying there are those different types of Weaving. They are. Or is it no, different levels of a program? Different toner. The names of a program. Mm. Yeah, so within the program they have particular projects, but the project name itself isn't actually, um, it's very broad. So Kiti for Kairo, um, that particular project for us could mean a range of different types of kiti. So Kiti for Kairo being patterned and or coloured kiti yeah. could take the form of a coloured kiti kumara the open weave kitty. It could take the form of a pico, a backpack, um, as opposed to the standard kitty with two handles. So it allows them um, the opportunity to create what they want to, as opposed to being told, this is what you need to make. So basically you're giving the skill that enables them to be able to make that decision. To push the boundaries. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, another good example is this piece over here that Sam is working on. Now, this, this is, looks like this a, is his kitty for Kaido. It's usually using all it looks the. Looks like um, that wicker basket. 
Yeah. 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 Also when they used to use... But it's not. But it does look like that. Yeah. Yeah. So should we go have a look at it? (laughs) Hey Sam, I saw you looking at me when I said it looks like that wicker basket. (laughs) Looking at me funny. Um, So could you just describe what you're doing here? Please. This is, I'm using harakiki or traditional materials, harakiki and kiki, but I'm using um, wickerwork technique. So, could you describe what wickerwork technique is? Is that when you have a frame? Uh, willow, willow weaving. Willow weaving. Yeah. Uh, basketry. This is European basketry. And was that by, is that... You, you have a frame and then you weave around? Um, yes, started with this this frame here. Yep. And then built it up and then worked up off the base. Okay. Yep. So just weaving around the frame to make your basket. Mm-hmm. May I touch it? Um, so Sam's actually commenced the whole lot, including the frame. Mm. Yeah, so even the, the resources he's utilised, this would normally be put back to Papatunuku. So it's almost like um, trash into treasure. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> mm. That's cool. And even, even the look of it, it's, it's really glossy, but it hasn't been varnished. It looks almost as if it's like polished, varnished. So what size, natural color. Mm. what size is this? What size is that? 40 centimetres wide, 30 centimetres across. And how high do you want it and to be? And it'll be uh, 50 at the back and 40 at the front. So it's got a slate on top on it with a lid. Cool. Yeah, so how long would, how long has it taken you so far, Sam? Uh, it's probably about 16 hours. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm, That's lovely. not including preparation. How, how long did the preparation take you? Maybe a couple of hours. Is that getting the harakiki? Uh, it's just the taki, so just um, stripping it down, basically letting it dry. It's lovely. Well, it's, it's going to be a sturdy bugger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the purpose. Oh, lovely. Who else would you like to? Gosh, everyone's very industrious. They're all looking down now. Hey, everybody <laughs> looking down, pretending they can't see us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the dyeing, mm-hmm. is, do people take issue with the use of synthetic dye? Um, a good person to talk to with regards to that would either be Sam or our um, Papua New Guinean weaver, Andrew Pueja. Um, they, they do a lot of dyeing with the natural dyes, yeah. the barks, the trees. Um, however, our, our students are taught that and um, they're encouraged to, if they want to, if they'd prefer to use the natural dyes. Um, otherwise, we have a, um, a good source of, we actually um, get the dyes um, at cost so they can purchase those from us as well. Um, but, yeah, either way, they're actually encouraged to, you know, follow the, go with their instincts, follow their heart, eh? If they want to go with, with the traditional dyeing, Katapai, if they prefer the, the modern-day colours, then that's fine too. What sort of impact does the folding of the Toy Ihor brand mm-hmm. have upon 
your students here? So I had Toiho myself. Um, so it authenticated to anyone looking at my work that it was made by a person of Māori descent and it was of a particular quality. Um, so for me... Um, I, so you had to go through a whole lot of... It was a, a process that I had to go through to gain that. So um, I, I thought it worked very well for me. Um, I was actually a little bit saddened that it's no longer there. Uh, however, um, I, th- I think it's sort of it's helped me to... Um, I suppose it's helped to promote to promote my work um, and where I'm going to with my work. So yeah, it is a shame that it's folded. However, I believe there's talk at the moment of somebody or another body taking that over. Mm. Tracy, have you found that as you've moved from making kite, you've just really, really pushed yourself into the type of rāranga you want to be doing? So you know, I've seen torso. I've seen headdress. Yeah, um, it's really important for for our um, institution to teach all traditional techniques, teach the tikanga and the kawa that is involved with that, but also to um, it's important for us for our taira to explore their own individual creativity and to push the boundaries. Um, I suppose it's about well, it's it's contemporary art. Um, you know, what is traditional? And that lies the question. <laughs> <laughs> Even traditional evolves. Yeah. But it's important to remember, you know, to remember where we've come from. See, I learnt the old way where you sat and you watched, and then you did it. But in later life, I was realising, oh, people were asking me questions about patterns that I was making. I had no idea what the patterns meant. I, had, I didn't know any history. I didn't know the papa. I could weave it, but I couldn't talk it. So for me, it was about stepping back and, um, and researching, getting my head into the book. So um, I really push that with my students. So it's not, about just, it's not just about the practical. It's not about the completed tonga. It's about knowing why you're making it where it's come from, how it's come to be. Um, knowing the history behind what you're making so that if you're in that situation, you can actually talk it as well as make it. Mm. Kia ora, Tracy Huxford, Sam and the rest of the whanau at the Levin Kōkiri. That audio and information about the weaving programme is at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Tēnei te mihi ki a katoa, ko Maraia Rakurakua hau. Ko Justin Maria hau, and you're listening to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. He's crooned his way into the heart of many a Māori woman. And possibly is the way for many a tāne courting a wahine. He's Dennis Marsh, the self-acclaimed Māori cowboy who has been in the background of the music scene for, well, yonks. Yet, suddenly he's in the spotlight, having broken all expectations in the album charts. He told Justine about this unexpected rise. <laughs> it's the biggest milestone I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I, I've never, ever thought that any of my um any of my albums would get that far but um it was a big surprise a very big surprise even to think that it was a maori songbook that took me there you know i i think i've got some really good country albums that um, are as good but 
unfortunately they never made anywhere near the the charts and Maori song book was released and it come in at third on the charts so it's it's something I feel that people uh, are lacking so they're looking for it you know they want to go back to their roots they want to go back to to a time and place where they can remember and sing along to as well do you take the whanau for a kind of celebration oh yeah they come out and pick me up and took us for for a kai nice so just to clarify um dennis uh from for the week april 4th that was the week, um, which was last week, you hit number one. Yep. I've just double-checked it this morning. You've kind of you've slipped one to number two. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hey, nevertheless, man, number one. We will go back to number one next week. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so, Dennis, Māori Songbook, it's a pretty self-explanatory um, name for the album. It's got waiata or songs um, that are quite popular um, in, in the Māori world. There's Hangi Tonight. Yep. Um, there's You Do the Bridge. Yes. Marku, uh, Blue Smoke. Yes. Tell us about the, the, the final um, edit, I suppose, of, of this album, Māori Songbook. Well, it's it's like all of us. You know, we go to the shop and we look at a at a bin of apples. We, we always take the best first. And um, when we've got enough, we um, pay for it and walk out. And in this case, I think we I went to the to the bin where all the songs were and I said um, well let's take this one this one this one this one and that one and I think we've got a we've got somewhere near the best um, songs we can have for a Maori songbook and um, what we've got on there is, is the result of our search for some wonderful waiata and um, I included a, the bridge and Eipo to keep that that Maori tanga alive with um, with the great late great Prince Tuiteka, and um, it's more or less a, a dedication to our uh, entertainers who've gone before us. So um, that's what it is, and um, you know the, the the title of it is is, is perfect. The Maori songbook um, even got a bit of a dedication there to Sir Howard with. Um, how great they are. So let's talk about the song Hangi tonight. Does everybody of your, does everyone in your family always want you to sing that song in particular when you go to a party or something like that? It's amazing. Hangi tonight. I got a little story. I was down in Wellington and with my band and we did a couple of shows down there and a lady came to me and she said, she said to me, well, look, would you have a listen to this song and would you record it? written by some friends of mine. I said, well, okay. The lyrics are there. Anyway, I bought it home. I was on a cassette and I put it in my office and I never listened to it again for like three years. And my wife yelled out to me and said to me, hey, come and listen to this. And it was hungry tonight. I went straight to the studio and put it down. And that's probably been the reason why Out of New Zealand sold so well because of hungry tonight. And now it's everywhere. The song Marku. Marku. I think I my would, my father's would, a big fan of that way, Arthur. I was actually sitting at the table when um, I, I was sitting at the table at a studio with Dave Henry, uh, Robbie Ratana, and a few band members, and um, Dave was writing out a few things on the on the table, and he said, "I've got a song," and Robbie put his hand up and said, "I'll have it," 
He looks at Robbie looks at me and says, that's mine, boy. You leave it alone, that's mine. So I said, all right. So we went straight into the studio, and Robbie put it out as on a on a we recorded it. Robbie recorded it. Uh, unfortunately, Robbie sort of passed away in in mm. in sort of like eighteen months later. And um, I thought, well, that that song never really got off the ground, so I decided to dedicate it to Robbie and do it again. And um, that song sort of. Um, People think it's mine, but it's not mine. It belonged to um, Dave, and Dave actually gave it to Robbie. What are the songs on the album that you're quite fond of, um, Dennis? I love the bridge. The bridge. I, I sang the bridge for the um, Anzac showcase that we're going to be having on Māori television on Anzac Day. And I also love um, Blue Smoke. So Blue Smoke will be featured on the um, ANSEC show as well, which reminds us of where it come from. And and I, and I see myself sitting on there, if I was a soldier, looking at the blue smoke passing by. And um, on my way out to a place that I'm not going to be familiar with, and I'm fighting somebody else's battles, not mine, it's someone else's, you know. Those, those particular songs mean a great deal to me. And... Um, I was lucky to, lucky enough to include them on the Maori songbook, so it was really good. Why do you think um, Maori songbook reached number one? Do you think? I mean, I know you touched on it before, but do you think that? I mean, there may be more Maori or even more, maybe New Zealanders that are that are turning towards buying Maori music and music from Aotearoa that's unique to us. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head. That's exactly what I I feel, and. And it's the era when the baby boomers came. You know, it's my era. It's from 40 up to 90. Those are the people who really enjoyed um, the Māori music, like Party of the Reef is there. And that was put out a long time ago. Tirina. Um, and music that that talked. Music we sang at parties and things like that. So it was all good. Kia ora, Dennis Marsh, no Maniapoto, Te Aroa. Many Fano Māori left rural areas during the 1950s, 60s and 70s in search of better jobs in the city. Among them was Joshua Kota. But the desire to raise his family on Turanga Waiwai drew him home and forced him to consider how they could support themselves in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. Now, Omaio, north of Oporotiki, is idyllic. With a picture postcard view out across the bay to greet you every day, bliss. And that view can be a bit distracting for Joshua Kota when he's in his workroom restoring and repairing books. What we got here is material, um, machinery and equipment that were made over 200 years ago. Now, this equipment that we have here, the, the board cutters, the book trimmers, the gold blocking machines, they are performing today as accurately as the day they were made. Where did you get these from? Now these, these came out from the government printing office in Wellington when that was closed down. And uh, a couple of other items came from different um, uh, printing places that had closed down. I purchased them because I didn't really want them to be lost. And uh, not only am I performing the... Um, uh, book binding and book restoration here, but I'm also showing people how it used to be done 200 years ago. 
Because otherwise, these are the kind of pieces that I would associate with being in a museum. Yeah, if I if I hadn't had these uh, this equipment here, uh, it would have been in a museum, and probably in a, in a place where most people wouldn't know what they would have been used for. So um, not only are they here, this is a type of a museum, but here we got myself that's uh, using this equipment, but also my family. So, so you've trained up another generation. I've, I've trained. I'm going. I'm heading now to the next generation, which is my grandchildren. But uh, all my children, the six children, they've all been uh, raised and taught how to bind books. Wow. Hmm. So this is a business that you have maintained at your home. I came back in 1981 to live at and um, I, I started this business here and have been doing it ever since. Like, this is just, it's, it's, this is lovely <laughs> looking at all the old books. Now, what I have here is a book that belongs to a family, and this is an old family Bible. Yes, and it's some, um, what size is that? Uh, we're looking at, a, if we're talking about inches, it's about 13 inches long by 7 inches wide and 4 inches thick. Gosh, it's beautiful. Mm. How old would you date that at, Now, the, the unique thing about this book is that it was printed originally and bound three years before Captain Cook discovered this country. And um, it's obviously a, an heirloom that um, the family or the owners of this book treasure. And as you can see, it's all in pieces. And yes, so we're looking at um, Genesis page 9. Yeah, we're looking at Genesis page 9. There's a few pages there here that are missing. Now, what I do to get this back to original is, of course, there's pages missing here and pages that are torn is that I send over to England or email, and they will send me copies of, the, of, of what they have in store and photocopy the first few pages here or the pages that are missing. I will download them at my end and photocopy them, and then I'll read and insert them into this book here. And then because the copies will be on new paper, and this, as you can see, is old paper, I will make the new paper look old. So that's all in keeping with the rest of the book. And how will you do that? Uh, that's that's a process um, that uh, we have of, of being able to just um, put paste and water over the the new the new um, the new paper with a bit of colouring in it until it comes down to the similar colouring uh, colouring of the original book. So in this um, Bible, am I able to touch it? Yep. Can. Um, I can see that the cover has fallen away. That the Spine. So this is well over how many years old? Um, 17, 1776, which is three years, as, as I said, three years before Captain Cook. Which was in 1769. Yeah, that's right. And um, so that's a few hundred years, over 200 years old now. Um, now, of course, that old material, it's, uh, it, it, won't, it won't be of any use now. So I'm going to replace that material and put new material onto it. This is for the spine. This is on the spine and the cover. and uh, But I'll keep the old diagrams and I'll just recreate those again. And that's that's the gold lettering that was on there originally. They'll be, maintained, they'll, they'll be done anew, but then the whole book will be made to look old again. So this is, this is the art and, and secret of book restoration, that the books be restored but to retain their original appearance. Sure. 
Some of these books have uh, writing uh, pages of writing on them. Yeah, because a lot of people used to use the Bible because often it was the only book that travelled with them. They would use it to record important dates. That's right. Or even as a diary. That's right. You're absolutely correct there. Uh, these books that were used to record their birth dates or even uh, dates of death in families. And weddings. And um, it was generally um, a family. So it, it, it recorded uh, each family. And the handwriting, of course, they're just as valuable, in fact, more valuable than a book itself because these um, handwriting belong to their ancestors. Now, you've described a process where you're able to email um, someone in the United Kingdom. They're able to email things back to you. Over the years since you started your bookbinding, has the onset of the internet made it a lot easier for you? Absolutely. I think if it wasn't for the internet, um, I probably wouldn't be doing as much as I am able to do out in the country because uh, one would have had to be working in a city. But now that the internet has arrived, you can work out in the back blocks of any part of the country. So do you have um, We have broadband, broadband internet. So um, we've all geared up for that. But not only that, I can actually bring people right into this uh, room uh, via the Skype and just show them what we do. And they may, they may see books here that I've got on my bench here that are similar to what they have. And they also can see the, uh, what I can do to a book just by looking at some of the books here that are dilapidated. But, I mean, I'm looking at you at the moment. You have, including the book that we've just finished talking about, you have... Five bi- four Bibles just sitting here, and they are absolutely beautiful. Yes, they are indeed. Um, there's actually one, two, three, four, five, six here in the process of being restored. And are these for different customers? These are all for different people from around the country. Wow, from all over New Zealand. Oh, look at that gorgeous, it's, the yeah. illustrations and just the paper. Now, yeah. I can see this is a different type of paper to this. this. That's right. This one here, this book here, we're looking at about 18. 1860, so it's about 100 years uh, after that one we're looking at that was done before Captain Cook discovered New Zealand. The papers are different. The um, type is also different. So there's a few uh, variations in, in the Bibles as time uh, proceeded. But as a, as a book restorer, you get to know and identify books of different eras. In other words, when I go and um, recreate a gold design, I don't put an 18th century Design onto a 17th century book, like a font. Yeah, or like a font on the mm. or the, the titles and the, no. the letterings. Mm. Now the the Bible that was written in 1766 or published in 1766. What sort of worth are we looking at here? In value terms, mm. uh, the people who own that book obviously will never sell it. Um, but if it was to be sold, we're probably looking up for anything from fifteen to twenty thousand. But as I said, the, um, there is no, there absolutely no way that this Bible will be sold by that family. Mm. It'll be restored, and after it's been restored here, be handed down to the next member of the next generation. So, given that it's such a specialised task that you do, and the time, mm. what's the ballpark figure of? a full restoration of an item of this kind? A cost. Mm. Uh, to restore a book such as we have in front of me here, um, we're looking to, to have this one restored will be to about $2,500. And um, that's ta- uh, what we take into account here is just the time, the time it, it takes. 
Um, How long would this take you to do? This will probably, t- like, over, over a period of time. I've given myself two months to, to complete that, but it won't take two months in one whole turn because this, it comes in stage. We'll do a certain, a certain type of job in, at one stage and wait for the glue to set, to set, for example, and then do the next stage. So it's done in a process. It's not all done at once. Uh, but I've, I've allowed myself a period of two months. Do you have to handle, you know, if we ever want to go into, like, the Alexander Turnbull or go into archives, you always see the um, the staff wearing gloves. I mean, do you ever have to do, you know, undertake any special behaviour when you're dealing with the books? No. In, in my case, because I'm, I'm a restorer, um, I, it's not until the book is fully completed and handled by members of the public that they'd have to handle it with, with gloves. But because because I'm familiar with the whole process of restoration, uh, I can I can do things to the book without and knowing that um, that there's no, not going to be any damage done to them. God, they're heavy, aren't they? They're very heavy. <laughs> some of these books. I've done uh, the oldest book I've actually done was one was that was printed and bound in the 14th century, and that was um, hand printed, of course, not not machine, and uh, that would, that belonged to somebody in Gisborne. It was handed to a who, who's now a farmer, but it was handed down to him. That was in the 14th century, handwritten. So Joshua, there are undiscovered pieces of You know, I've come across people Absolutely. who have these books but don't really know the true value of them other than it was handed to them by their grandmother. Mm. But if they were to really do a research on those books, they would be surprised at the amount of value that these books have. Gosh, you just must feel constantly overwhelmed by that. Uh, it's, it's a passion. <laughs> it's a passion that I have. And, uh, you, you know, this uh, book restoring, you have to be passionate about it. Uh, it's time-consuming, but every time I'm doing it, there's, there's just a feel about it that you're recreating something that's precious to somebody else. Mm. So once you've restored it, how much longer what can its life be? What I tell people is if you send a book to me to be restored, I give it a 200-year guarantee. Woohoo! Yeah. So therefore... <laughs> If after 150 years it falls to pieces, you're quite free to come back and check me out and I'll do it for you for free. And with your different generations of your whānau involved in the business, it's yeah. highly likely they will. And, and it's quite likely that my mokopunas will come and do it for you, knowing that I've made that declaration. But the thing is this, um, what I'm saying when I, when, I, when I tell people that I give it a 200-year guarantee is that what I'm really saying is that when I restore these books, it's probably going to last that long because I'm going to restore it in such a way. It's, it's lasted this long now. Yes. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible, incredible that, isn't it? that, that uh, yeah, these books here have lasted this long, but that's because they were bound by hand originally. But it looks like, you know, it's not like they haven't lived a life either. You no. know, these are like well-thumbed pages. They've, yeah, they have been used. Gosh, but, this um, is absolutely beautiful, this. Yeah. And, and, and the average age of, a, of an old book uh, is 200 years. After 200 years, one would expect it. Uh, to be uh, looked at again, and maybe re-sown, and recovered and rebound, but um, that's the life span that I give every book I do. So it's it's just the way that we were. Tra- I was trained when I was taught uh, as a, an apprentice that when we do these books, they we're doing them so they'll last another hundred or two hundred years. Hmm. Are you restoring a medical journal there? Yeah, this is a medical journal. Uh, belongs to a um, a family who's grandmother uh, was a doctor and this is one of the books that she used to own and um, 
Wow, I just saw a um, page there that said menstruation is a disease of women. <laughs> yeah, I see, I see that. Oh, you get some funny things in here. <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things that I, I see I don't really and fully understand, but um, uh, I, I come across some things. That, and, you know, I, I am a, an avid reader, and sometimes if I get a book that's, um, that I'm interested in, I would sometimes tell the um, owner of the book, Look, can I give you? Can you give me another month to do this book, and then I'll, um, when I'm finished reading it, uh, finished uh, doing it, I'll read it and have a look at it. And I guess um, you know the books that you're dealing with really are reflective of their time. That's right. Oh, look at That's those right. illustrations! They're beautiful mm. medicinal plants. Medicinal plants, and uh, these are the uh, plants that have different medic- uh, medicinal properties. And just see? looking over there at one of the other illustrations, Joshua, I can see that. A picture of good health is yeah. a white male. <laughs> yeah, it's a white male, yeah. And, and it's got this picture here. There's a picture here where you can actually do one page and then you've got the, the, more of the head being cut off and you can see the brains inside. And you go to the next one and you go further into the... Gosh, that's quite neat. Mm. It's all demonstrations of what. So do you ever have to, when you're restoring a book, do you find yourself having to restore illustrations? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you find yourself um, uh, becoming concerned about how there's a lack of longevity around things that are produced these days? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, well, uh, the whole the whole um, technology is uh, has never been designed for you know for for a long period of time. Well, they just want things to last just for a certain amount of time, so you can go and buy a ch- buy another replace, version yeah, at yeah. the warehouse. Yeah, I mean, you look at a computer. If you've got a computer that you bought three years ago, it's it's out of date. So that's just the way things have changed now. Um, I mean, even next year, this computer that I have now could be out of date and not be able to function the things that they'll invent for next year. But uh, when I when I see things like this, see these books here, as I said, over 100, 200 years old, they still have that value about them. Now, not, not just reading value, but just the way that they were bound with all these gold decorations there. and um, Just revered, eh? You can see I there mean, was just a reverence applied to them. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, um, you know, who, when they bound this originally, they, they obviously had time, and they took time to do it. But um, There was all those monks running around in the priories. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> so there's now, there's a Bible over there that I can see has... Um, what do you call that? Is, is that some kind of lock? Yeah, they have a... Um, yeah, this is a type of a lock... It only, it, this particular one here uh, isn't one that you lock up with a key, but it just holds the book together. It's got these clasps there, and they, um, when you put them together, they just hold the book together so that the book doesn't accidentally fly open or isn't left open. Gosh, look at all the iconography on that. Yeah. It's also um, so meaningful, eh? It is. You know, it's I not mean, just a... So how do you feel about... Uh, now you've got computerware that reads books, I, and I, you're not actually holding a real book anymore. You're yeah. just holding a computer screen. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, this that the computer age has made these books actually more valuable because um, uh, everyone's thinking in terms of um, computers and looking at a screen and just you know just going on as quick as they can. But to actually have something held in your hand and something you can put away and and uh, classify as your own. There's something about it. Gosh, that's another hefty one. You you have to have two hands to carry that. Mm. 
goodness. Uh, so these, these, these are all big, heavy Bibles. I think these were made, too, in the days when families sort of kept together. And the head of the family, the dad or, or, or the mum, would read from it to their family in the evenings when there was no TV around. They'd spend time around there. Look at that. Beautiful, too. Mm. It's got the Ten Commandments and illustrations. and You know, but Bibles aren't the only books you're dealing with. I mean, no. We've just finished talking about the yeah. medical, medical journal there. And over here it looks like... Newspapers? All, all, yeah, we, we actually buy newspapers for the local libraries. But um, I've also got books here that, although this one here is a, is a Josephus, but it, it has some relevance to the Bible. But I also get other books here. For example, I've got one here for the New Zealand Pig Hunter. And people are keeping the copies of each edition of the New Zealand Pig Hunter as it comes out. And they send it to me after they've gathered, say, a six months uh, lot or even 12 months. And I'll bind them into volumes like what this. What year are those? Now, these ones are 1996, from 1996. Oh, they're, they're, these ones, sorry, these ones here that we're looking at. It's 2007. So how much would it be to bind all those magazines together? The, this, this one that we're looking at here, a whole, a whole um, a year's uh, magazines bound into hardcover and gold-printed is $100. Oh, that's mm. reasonable. That's, that's very reasonable. But, uh, these because are, to me, that looks like um, what you do when you bind a thesis. Yeah, very, very, very similar. But um, uh, this one here is, is got a hard, solid cover on it. All those um, magazines are bound together. That's a whole, uh, whole year's volumes. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's um, mm -hmm. that's preservation, isn't it? And that preserves those books. Now. Where do you find the hard cover covers? You know, uh, the covers came come in full size boards. Uh, those ones that I got there stacked by the machine. Um, oh, you have to make these? Yeah, then I cut them down on, on, on the equipment that I have here. And the materials that come in rolls, and I cut out the materials from the rolls. So you just get a customer to specify the colour? That's right. They, they choose whichever right. colour they want. And, and what sort of gold lettering they'd like to have on the spine, the typeface and all that sort of thing. Ah, oh, so you can yeah. actually label them like Pig Hunter yeah, 2007 to 2006. That's right. Right. So I've got my own gold, gold blocking machines here and, and uh, gold um, foils. To do the lettering. And now I'm also looking over here at what are looking like district council minutes. Yes, uh, we do all the district, local district council minutes. Uh, these ones we're looking at, at here are the Kawarau District Council. And uh, I do the regional, Bay of Plenty Regional Council, which is uh, based at Whakatani, uh, Tauranga uh, District Council, minute books. So Joshua, the, the documents that you're dealing with are for public eyes anyway. Yeah. Do you ever deal with material that's not... I, uh, I do do books that are only held for specific people and they're confidential ones. Um, like like councils would have uh, books that they don't uh, allow the public to view and, and I, 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 have, I bind them for them as well. But most of these ones here, which are the general minute books, they're that for open. public. Yep. Open for public. And they're going to be bound in such a way that when the public handle them, that they, they do get um, they do last, last the journey. So they've got to be uh, pretty well, pretty substantial, and 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 look presentable as well. Yes, mm. yes, that's lovely. That's red, a red bound cover, and uh, like a black tape with gold lettering on it in the spine, and it just looks look very, yeah. you know, yeah. just it's very professional. It's lovely. Mm. Now, so these books are all placed by a bench that's alongside your window. Yeah. Now the sun is notorious in Aotearoa. Yeah. 
But I don't see that any of this is faded. No. But the, I see the newspapers are. Yeah, there's those newspapers, uh, different materials. Now, uh, the, 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 um, the, the materials that I have here won't fade. Uh, this is pretty um, hardy material. Uh, sun, sun won't affect these ones. Uh, but I do have some that are further back that I, I don't allow the sun to get near. Like those ones over there, got a corner there. Yeah, just because the sun's on. wicked. Mm. These are just uh, books here that have been... These are just general books. This one here is the Collins Dictionary, the Holy Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, encyclopedias, and uh, photograph albums. And then round some of... You know, I'm looking at some of your materials. I can see there are... Um, there's a gold thread and a darning needle. Yeah. And twine, uh, hammers, paintbrush... Uh, I'm guessing that's glue, yeah. and these are the scissors. These are the standard tools for a bookbinder. Yeah, that's right. I've, I've got everything here in this room that uh, any bookbinder would require to carry out any of the work that's needed to be carried out. So one of the good things about having this equipment here is I don't really need to um, rely on power if, if, if I didn't have the power. And uh, I think that's, that's which the is a reality for um, businesses and for people based out in the Watwaps. Yeah, that's right. And the beauty about it all is that I, it gives there's a certain feel about doing something that doesn't require the use of power. Mm. You know, everything's done by hand, and you can do a job from beginning to end without the relying on power. So this is the thing I like about it. Kia ora bookbinder Joshua Kota no fakatohia te apanui. There are a number of ways you can contact us or listen to Te Ahika. You can visit our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. There's a Facebook logo on there as well. You can also sign up to our weekly newsletter or you can email us directly at teahika at radionz.co.nz. Anera te whakatauki a te wiki nei. Moi moi atia, te moi moi a. Engari, whakatinana hia. Dream the dream and achieve it. So the word moi moia is to dream. So moi moia tia te moi moia, dream the dream. Engari whakatinana hia. So whakatinana is another word for to embody, to embody something. So dream the dream and achieve it. Make it a reality. That's us for another week. Next week is our Anzac special, and boy, do we have some tonga lined up for you. Monty Suter and Leanne Thamaki talk about the 28th Māori Battalion website. Paul Moon discusses the Hane Manahi story. We hear from the Fananga of 2011 Nāori Movisi scholar. And Justine is at the launch of Stamps Memorialising Victoria Cross Holders. Hello, Uliapiata. Koia rā te hōtaka nei a te ahika mō tēnei wiki. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kaikōrero mō tēnei wiki. Atu i tērā ki ngā kaimahi i whakapaipai te hōtaka nei marunga rorohiko ka mau ki te wihi. Mai te whanau a te ahika ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora tātou katoa.